like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. May God bless the reading of his inspired and inerrant word. You may be seated. It's complicated. That's what we say when there is really no easy explanation for how life pans out for us. It's complicated. That's what we might even say when we think of all the, the all that we're doing with our lives as families, as employees or employers, as students. It's complicated. <laughs> we sometimes even feel that when we're around family during the holidays or experiencing trials and troubles that seem to haunt where we come from. It's complicated. That might be the best way to describe our busyness, our hurriedness, and our constantly being plugged in to the Internet, and yes, to our cell phones. We live in a complicated time in a modern culture and world. We live in complicated lives where there's a lot coming at us all at once. You know what the strange thing is about that? We love it. And we hate it. Don't we? Today in Psalm 131, we're going to look at a way to recharge ourselves in relationship with Christ by faith. Um, in the midst of a complicated life. And our question in coming out of Psalm 131 is simply this. How can we find peace and hope in our very complicated lives in a simple pursuit of God? And what are really a few simple steps toward God so that we encounter true peace and hope in our often uber-complicated lives? Well, our psalm comes from King David, who was a man who had a seriously complicated life. Uh, David, you might recall in his story, started out as a simple shepherd in the desert, uh, working with the sheep. His life was pronounced by its simplicity. And then a prophet showed up, Samuel. God called Samuel to go and to anoint David as the next king uh, of the people of Israel, things started to get complicated from da- for David then. David ends up becoming a warrior who wins all kinds of battles for God's people, including uh, beating that guy Goliath in a serious tap, tap out uh, by taking his head off. David's fame skyrocketed with all of these victories, which complicated things. You see, the king of that time, King Saul, didn't like David's popularity. He became so jealous that he persecuted David, that he even sought to kill him and hunt him down. That is pretty complicated. Then after Saul's death, David becomes king, and he actually starts to build the kingdom himself. 
He builds the kingdom in the, in the midst of successes, uh, has extraordinary victories in war, as well as unprecedented prosperity. Success, well, that brings complications too. As if that wasn't enough in the midst of his success, David decides that in his boredom one day, he would have an affair with another woman and have her husband killed. The result of that was super complicated. Then David's house, after all of this, uh, starts to develop all kinds of drama. His own son, Absalom, tries to steal the throne from him. And then Sheba revolts against him later. And then later, yet again, another guy named Adonijah tries to lead another coup d'etat upon King David. It gets really complicated when a lot of people want to see you dead. And yet, in the midst of all this, David sums up really nicely, I think, in Psalm 131, a way to seek God in the midst of a super complicated life. A way to know God personally in the midst of that. And so how did he handle the complications? He prayed. He prayed and he sang. And what we have here is a psalm or a song of ascent. Songs of ascent are those things that David would pray or would sing as he walked up the hill. Usually you go up the hill to go to worship in that time, in the ancient times, to worship God at the tabernacle or the temple. David would sing as he walked up the hill. And in the midst of all the drama and hardship, he would seek God. He would pursue God with a fire and a passion, knowing that his only life would come from him. And so as he's walking up the hill, we might say that there are really three steps. And I mean that literally for David in the psalm of ascent to finding peace and hope and prayer in the midst of a very complicated life. And so here we go. Here's our first step. It comes in verse 1a. Uh, And here's what it says. Oh, Lord, my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not raised too high. David addresses the Lord. That's Yahweh, the great I am, uh, the master of all, the sovereign Lord of all. But notice how he does it. He does it in the negative in this case. He says, Lord, I am not coming with my heart lifted up. I am not coming with eyes raised. That is, he is not coming with. With arrogance, which is what happens when the heart is lifted up. He is not coming uh, with his uh, eyes raised in contempt. Now, you you imagine this. When someone uh, puts their head up like this and looking down their nose, that's contempt. That's what that is. And that's what he's talking about here. Arrogant contempt. And what he's saying in this not business is he's walking up the hill to worship God and he's putting off the old of the ways of arrogance and contempt as he puts on the new. This is the ethic of the Christian faith. We don't do this, but we do do that. We don't feel this, but we do feel that. That's the kind of thing we're putting off in the way we live. And more specifically, he's saying, I'm not proud. I'm not contemptuous as I come to you. And let me be clear about that. The only way you can be aware that you're not proud or contemptuous is to actually have dealt with your pride and contempt. 
to actually have come clean with it at some point prior to the ascent. What David is doing is he's praying a certain way. He's praying with humility before God. Praying with humility, if you will, is the other side of the coin when you pray, uh, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, just as we prayed earlier. When you say, hallowed be thy name, the other side of that coin is, I humble myself before you without pride or contempt before you, Lord. God himself welcomes this kind of posture before him and humility. Isaiah 66 says, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in heart and who trembles at my word. What does that look like? Humble, contrite in heart, trembling at him and his word. Well, to come before God with humility means we understand and see ourselves relative to God and his greatness. We have a sense of our smallness before the God of the universe who made everything, who is bigger than uh, the universe itself, billions of light years to the ends of the uh, universe. It means we have a sense of weakness and limits. That we come to the end of ourselves regularly and realize, I cannot do this. I've gone as far as I really can. But God has no limits. He is all powerful. It means when we humble ourselves that we have a sense of our brokenness and sin. Before an absolutely holy God who is sinless. Humility means we go low before the Lord. We go vulnerable, realizing He is God and we are not. Years ago, the great African-American author Alex Haley talked, the guy who wrote the book Roots and the miniseries that came out decades ago, talked about a picture he had in his office. It was a picture of a turtle on a fence post. And he said that every time he started to think much of himself with all his fame and success, he would look at that turtle on the fence post and remember, the only way that turtle can get there is if someone puts him there. In the same way, whatever you and I have, have in life, what we own, whatever successes we've enjoyed, whatever hardships we've endured or grown from, and most importantly, whatever we've been saved from in our lives so that we might be saved to something in Christ, it's all a gift. It's all from God. You aren't where you are right now without God's grace in your life through Christ. We are the turtle on the fence post. Every one of us. We didn't get here on our own. When life gets complicated, instead of bucking up, go low. Instead of saying, I can handle this, I'll just endure teeth-gritting endurance, start by going low in humility before you go to teeth-gritting endurance. James 4 says that, uh, uh, that we should uh, humble ourselves before the Lord and He will lift us up. So, humility is the first step ascending the hill of the Lord.
to know him in our complicated lives. But there is a second step. In verse uh, 1, it says this, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Here David is praying uh, all about his complicated circumstances that he doesn't quite understand. (laughs) Remember, David is a shepherd king. He is a king over in a nation that is prospering and just slowly spreading out and taking over. And so you can imagine that for David, a high value in all this is control. Control. But David is also in this prayer modeling for us really the opposite of what that is. That when you want to take control, even from God... You actually need to go the other way, the opposite way of your intention. In other words, you go to the sovereignty of God. You pray about God's sovereignty and goodness over your situation, that God has a decreed plan over all of creation and history itself so big that actually it's going somewhere, even in the midst of life being right up in our faces This has meaning, too, in God's plan, though it is not clear to us at this time. David humbles himself before God and his sovereignty over everything as the Lord of all. What does that mean? Well, first, he's not trying to figure God out, to figure out God's plan. Now, I got to tell you, that's a hard one when you go through tragedy and trial and loss Something really painful that you just want to know why. But Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this. The secret things belong to the Lord. As Americans who love to know why, especially in an information age, where with our fingertips we can find out why, God says there's some things you're just not going to know this side of eternity. Trust me. Second, David doesn't try to control the things that are out of his control. One of my favorite verses that I have to read regularly for myself comes in Isaiah thirty fifteen. Isaiah thirty fifteen comes with a people who are trying really hard uh, to save themselves through political alliances, through the use of military means. And this is what he says to people who tried to fix their lives politically, financially, and with power. It says this, Isaiah 30. In returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and in trust shall be your strength. Now that's ironic when they're being attacked and threatened by people. You know what what he goes on to say in that very verse? He says, but you were unwilling. For control freaks like yours truly, to rest in God and wait on Him is the art of trusting in His sovereignty. Now there is one third way that you can learn to trust in the sovereignty of God. David did not try to write his life fixing it with self-righteous means and ways. Romans 3 says this, But now a righteousness from God, not from ourselves, has been revealed. A righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. 
In other words, if you have a sense that my life is wrong in how it's handled, or life around me is even wrong at how things are going, our call is not to try and right it ourselves first and rush in and try and fix it, but to actually go to the Lord first. And figure out what our role is in that. And sometimes we'll find out we have no role. We have to wait on the Lord. There's nothing we can do. We're waiting on Him. What is all this pointing to? Well, David is really getting at something in his very complicated life. He's praying with surrender. Surrender which recognizes God as the absolute sovereign who can rescue us in every circumstance. It's as if he's praying in this verse, Lord, I don't really know what you're doing right now. I mean, things are really complicated here. And I trust you. I trust you. I trust that you will overcome and take care of this for me. For those of us who are recovering control freaks... This prayer of surrender is crucial to finding peace and hope in our complicated lives. And the truth of the matter, if you really want to get down to it, is we really have less control than we think we do. Yeah, that's a scary thought for someone like me. But I do want to stop here and note that very often when we feel out of control, we'll do something in our lives to help us feel in control. You know what that is? We get busy. Busyness sometimes becomes a rhythm of our lives because we don't want to surrender. Sometimes our lives are so complicated and busy because we believe the lie that busyness equals significance. Busyness equals importance. Why are we so busy? What are you searching for in your busyness? And here's our question for the last month. What do you want? What are you thirsty for? What are you hungry for spiritually that you're so busy? See, David's not trying to get busy. He's actually doing the other thing. He's praying, thy will be done in the midst of... Of his super complicated life. When you feel overwhelmed. When you feel like. You have too much going on. Or. You feel like your life is just too complicated. Think about this truth. That I get from my friend Dick Woodward. Dick Woodward says this is a spiritual secret from John 15. I'm not. But he is. And I am in him and he is in me. I can't. But he can. And I am in him. And he is in me. I don't want to. But he wants to. And I am in him. And he is in me. I didn't. But he did. And I am in him. And he is in me. This truth of our connection to Christ. And how he has accomplished all we ever need. And will work in our hearts so that we might trust him is crucial. So when our lives get complicated. 
We come to God with steps of humility, surrendering to his sovereign plan. And in that process, we start to actually experience peace. Peace. That brings us to the third step. In verse 2. Verse 2 says, I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. So David said, Lord, I'm not coming with pride. I'm, I'm not trying to control my situation with my self-righteousness. But I am calming my soul. I'm coming with quiet and with stillness before you. The stillness, you should know, is a state of the heart. It's not just mere stopping physical activity. What David is praying for is disengagement, not engagement. In a complicated world, sometimes you have to learn to disengage. Now, some spiritual disciplines in our Christian life are engaging disciplines. Reading your Bible, service for the church, Worship, prayer, you name it. Those are engaging disciplines. But some disciplines are often forgotten in our Christian lives and are really why we have noisy souls within. We've forgotten them. And the disciplines of disengagement include silence, solitude, stillness. This is a forgotten way to pray, to seek God. Most of us pray using a lot of words. But I would remind you that multiplying words doesn't cause God to listen more to you. Even Jesus himself talked about, talked negatively about multiplying words in prayer. In fact, I like how one author says this. This is great. He says, when we pray, many of us, we're so busy talking to God, we filibuster him. You know what filibuster is, you know, in the House of Representatives and the the national government, someone will stand up and they once they're given the floor, they can hold the floor by talking and not yielding the floor for hours, even days. If they can handle it that long, they just keep talking. They can't stop talking, but they just keep talking. Here's a thought. What if you talked less to God and listened more? What if you came to God with stillness and quiet and listened to him more? David is suggesting that he prays without words. Listening in the quiet. And you know what, uh, you know what the church fathers called this? Holy leisure. Vacere Deo. A vacation with God. That's what we pursue When we actually are quiet before the Lord. You and I have an opportunity to sit back and relax with God without words. How much are you listening to God in stillness and silence? Psalm 46, we looked at that a few weeks ago, says, be still and know that I'm God. Now, I know for some of you, this sounds a little uncomfortable. It feels a little new agey for you. Well, I'm definitely not about the new age, that's for sure. But what I have to tell you is that Jesus himself practiced this. Throughout the Gospels, it says that Jesus, 
often would go to desolate, lonely places. Do you think he talked the whole time with the father while he was there? What would it mean for you and for me to stop in our hurried lives and to be still and listen to the Lord? What does that look like? Well, I have to admit to you, I'm not very good at this. I'm just learning it. But I can tell you a little bit about what it's like from what David himself says in our text. He says, I have calmed and quieted my soul. He's gone to stillness like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. Notice he says it twice. Twice. That's an emphasis as if to say this really matters in how you approach God. What does a weaned child do with its mother? Well, let's talk about what an unweaned child does. An unweaned child cries and demands food now. Give me what I want. But an unweaned child stays close to the mother and waits for her to provide food. The weaned child, if you will, is our metaphor for waiting on the Lord. Now, here's the reality. We all have noisy souls. And I might be the chief of those among us. We are sometimes preoccupied with uh, things and thoughts regarding sticky situations. We have anxieties about relationships and responsibilities. We feel disappointment at loss when things don't go the way we expected. We feel wounds from the past and we sometimes carry around wounds in the present. And in this complicated experience, our tendency is to run to distractions to run to work, to competent things that we know we can do well, even to run to entertainment and media. You know why? So we don't have to feel. It's a way to anesthetize ourselves, to numb ourselves. My personal favorite is to surf the net for useless sports information about NC State football, basketball, and the whole host of things. Self-medicating by going to the internet or watching TV, even escaping in a book, is sometimes a way to avoid feeling with God. David is showing us that there is another option. And here's the option. Run to the gentle care and comfort of the Holy Spirit. Learn to hurt with God and let him calm your noisy soul. Maybe you aren't a Christian today. But I can bet there's one thing you have in common with all Christians. We might even say all of humanity is that we all want to feel alive. Well, that won't happen. Until you learn to feel with God in his presence. What is it that Lady Annabellum song says? I'd rather hurt than feel nothing at all. Amen, Lady Annabellum. 
Christians would say, I'd rather hurt with God, waiting on him, being with him in his presence, than feel nothing at all. God gives those who trust in Christ alone for their salvation the Holy Spirit living within so that you can actually know God in the midst of your complicated life. God dwells within you in the present tense. In fact, a word for the Holy Spirit, a way to describe the work of the Holy Spirit is he hovers like a mother bird over its chicks. So here's the big question for all of us today. As I've pined away about resting in stillness of humility and surrender, how? How? How do you do this in this kind of crazy world we live in where there's all these responsibilities, all these things to do, all this information and technology coming at us at once? How do we do this in our complicated lives? Well, David gives us a hint here in verse 2. He says, I have quieted. My soul. Of course, God quiets our whole souls first, but we also take responsibility to quiet our own souls. And how do we do that? Well, here's five brief applications. The first is this we've talked about it already. In the very rhythm of the psalm, you humble yourself, you surrender to the Lord with your sense of stillness before Him. Second, And don't forget this. This is just absolutely key to verse 2. Remember, you're a child. You're not a slave. You're a child of God, saved by grace through faith, and adopted into the family of God. You are not a slave uh, reporting to an employer who's going to get mad at you because you didn't pull off something today. This is your father. We're talking about now, does God get displeased with you? Sure. But it's a loving displeasure. He leads with love. If you trust in Christ for your salvation, you're forgiven and you are a child of the father. You are not a guilt ridden slave of a deity you don't know. Imagine sitting in your mother's lap. Leaning on her breast. That's the imagery here in our text of safety, of rest, of peace. You can do that with God. Many of us here have a cruddy prayer life. I know what that's like, even as a pastor sometimes. We are afraid to pray because we have forsaken the Lord and think, well, he doesn't want to have anything to do with us because, well, we've said we haven't dealt with him long enough. Here's my exhortation to you. Stop thinking like a slave. Think like a child. Come to the Father like a son. Run to your parent. Thank you, Jesus. Love you, John Hilton. Think of yourself like the prodigal son. When the prodigal son came back to the father, did the father say, where the heck have you been? His, his older brother, the self-righteous one, said that. But his father, he doesn't say, wow, you really blew it. No, nah, he said, welcome home. Glad you're here. Put a robe on him, a ring on him, new shoes, dress him up. We're having a party. 
Don't you get it? The imagery of that text is God wants to be with you. He wants to be with you. Third, learn to enjoy the presence of God in stillness and even without words. Howard Baker says this, the person you are at work is the person you are in prayer. (laughs) Let's think about that. The person you are at work is the person you are in prayer. If you're harried, worried, if you're struggling at work, well, I bet you're showing up in your prayers in the same state of heart. I love that laugh. If you are living a harried life, some of us here will struggle with being pursuing God in the midst of that. If you say, I haven't felt God in a long time, and many of us here could say that. Here's my question. Have you stopped long enough to experience him? Have you paused even sitting down for 15, 30 minutes, maybe an hour with him? Silence and stillness with God is the most underrated piece of knowing the Lord so that you might actually taste Him. Fourth application. When you pray, pray in stillness and with meditation. This week, this coming week, starting tomorrow and going through next Sunday, is the week of Jubilee at Redeemer. In the week of Jubilee, we take a special time to focus on the Lord together as a body and individually, even as families. And here's what we do. We take uh, time off to spend time with the Lord. Now, I'm not saying from your jobs, go to your jobs. To, don't tell your boss. Dean said, I didn't have to work today. You know, go to your jobs, go to school. You know, don't say, hey, hey, my super spiritual uh, pastor said this. No, 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 no. Do your normal rhythm of life. But find times to spend with the Lord personally. Be still with him. And let me promise you, when you're still with him, Satan will come at you full force to distract you. So you don't seek God with humility and surrender to him. You must be intentional to pray with stillness and meditation. Find a quiet place alone. And here's the key. Turn off your cell phone. Turn it off. Put it away. No, don't even don't even leave it on where you can see it, you know, if the light comes up, somebody has just texted you. No, no. Turn it off completely. And then begin your time by saying nothing. Don't filibuster God. Breathe, sit, and it'll come like crazy. All these thoughts of what you need to do, how you got to go. You know what I do in moments like that when I'm trying to be still with God? I say, God's not in a hurry and neither I'm not going to be in a hurry either. As you're quiet, then read the word of God. Don't empty your mind like the Eastern religions do in their version of meditation. Fill your mind with the truth. Start with the Psalms. Just read a Psalm. 
pray over that word and find something about it that really highlights uh, that God really highlights to you in the spirit. You know, the ancient and reformed fathers of the church, they actually would pray this way. They would say uh, praying with meditation like this is like eating a meal. You taste the word by reading it. You chew the word by thinking about it. You swallow the word by praying about it. You digest the word by revisiting it throughout the day and the weeks to come. In other words, you feed on the Lord as he speaks to you in his word, particularly. Fifth and final application is fasting. With the week of Jubilee coming up, I am calling everyone at Redeemer to consider fasting in some way. Fasting, you might recall, is the giving up of something good for a brief season to focus on our ultimate good, God himself. To really spend time with him. That can often mean food. It's the most common form of fasting in Christian history. But it can mean something like TV. It can mean something like media or even your cell phone. What would it be like, here's a thought, to go without a cell phone for a day? You know, some of you have had your cell phone break or, or you've had it um, where it just stopped working for whatever reason. You had to get a new cell phone and you had to wait a day or something like that before you got it. Wasn't that day one of the most restful days you'd ever had? In your week of Jubilee, decide what you're going to fast from. And then, here's what I want you to do. Find one problem in your life that seems really complicated and you have no idea how to deal with it. Start praying about that one problem. And as you're praying about the one problem, read the word for the week. And start to search for how God is connected to that problem. Let's say you feel terribly weak, like you can't handle a certain thing is too much for you. Find those verses that talk about God being your strength. Let's say you feel like your life is, a, is really unstable because of financial or career or family issues. Find those verses that talk about God being a rock. The stability in our lives. If you think something can be, can't be fixed, think about God as your salvation, your Savior, your Lord. The intent of this exercise this week is really simple. That you and I would discover the wonders of God in Christ in such a way that we worship Him more, we know Him more. Because we have a lifetime and eternity waiting for us of learning how great and big our God is. You know what will happen if you really pray this way with stillness, surrender, humility? It's verse 3. Verse 3 says this, O Israel, those who struggle with God, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. If you seek the Lord in your complicated life with surrender, humility, and stillness, you will be stirred to hope in Him more. You will find the quick fix of saviors of this world less appealing and seek Christ more. 
And you know what will happen? You'll start to have hope for what lies ahead. And your life may seem a little bit less complicated. So let's go to the Lord, with, seek Him with prayer as we prepare for the Lord's Supper. And even a moment of stillness. Let's pray. O Lord, our heart, our hearts are not proud. They are not lifted up. Our eyes are not raised too high. We do not occupy ourselves with things too great and too marvelous for us. But we have calmed and quieted our souls like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is our soul within us. O Israel, O church of struggling ones, hope in the Lord. From this time forth and forevermore. Amen and amen. Please stand with us.